Hello and welcome to the Welsh Rugby Podcast. I'm your host, Ben James. I'm joined as ever by Stefan Thomas. We are days away from our little trip to France, Wales, travel out to the World Cup on the weekend, as do we. No warm-up game for us to digest uh, on the last weekend. Wales are done and dusted, but there was plenty of other rugby on the weekend, as well as some interesting news, um, which we'll kick off with. Dan Bigger. There's only one place to start, isn't it? Yeah. He's announced his international retirement after the World Cup. I mean, not the most surprising of news. I think since, well, since March, he's been sort of drip-feeding that that idea that he might retire in. I remember after Six Nations, he was saying, you know, this could be his last game in Paris. And I think from then on, he's spoken about how, you know, he might not be around for too much longer. Um, it doesn't make too much difference to Wales, obviously, at the World Cup. They're going to go there with a good balance of fly-halves. But I guess, before we get on to what, what Big has achieved in the Wales jersey, where does it leave us post-World Cup in 2024? Because it's an interesting situation, isn't it? Yeah, I wrote about this yesterday. Um, I think it does leave Wales in a bit of a tricky situation. Not not just because of Bigger, because it had been, as you said, it's been on a great point for quite a while. And, you know, Toulon obviously won their money's worth and he's a, it's not much more you can achieve for Wales. And, you know, he's a he's a family man and whatnot, and he's been very clear why he's calling it a day at test level. But so we're losing bigger, and Wales are also losing um, Gareth Anscombe. I know he says he'll be he'll be available for selection for the Australian tour, but because he's moving to Japan, he can't play in the Six Nations. So there's two first choice tens gone, uh, you know, in one uh, in one stroke there. And also, you know, look further afield. Uh, Jared Evans signed for Harlequin, so he's ineligible under the 25 cap law. Uh, Sam Davis is in uh, Grenoble in France, so he's he's out of the equation. Um, I think, obviously, Costello you'd expect to be the long-term successor yeah. to Bigger. So I think this is a good opportunity in the World Cup for him to really put his hand up and prove that he's the man to wear the number 10 shirt for the next good few years. Owen Williams signed a new contract with the Ospreys, so obviously he's, he's going to be in the mix, just miss out on the World Cup. Um, but beyond those two, Wales are scraping the barrel a bit. I think the interesting one is Callum Sheedy because he was the forgotten man and uh, he's been the forgotten man over the past uh, 18 months or so. Um, you know, Wayne Pivock obviously selected him off the back of some great performances at Bristol. It looked like he at one stage he was really going to kick on. You know, he, he played that that impact sub role, a finisher role in the 21-6 Nations winning campaign, especially up in Murrayfield. He offered yeah. some of the bigger, didn't. But then, you know, very strangely, his Bristol form started to dip a little bit and, you know, Costello obviously took his place. But, you know, you just look at the three tens I mentioned there, four tens out of the equation. So he's he's in the mix. But So if you had a ten, uh, three tens in the squad of Costello and Owen Williams and Sheedy, it's not too bad. Or... This is a wild card. Johan Lloyd is going to play 10 for the Scarlets because well, they take the two yeah. tens and then have like an utility back that can cover 10. Uh, and then you've got Dan, uh, Dan Edwards at 20s, 10 in the long run and maybe Will Reed, but they're further further down the line. But certainly in the short term, I think it'll be a bumpy ride for Wales after the World Cup. Yeah, because I think with the thing with Costello is I think you're going to need him to... You're going to need senior players around him, I think. Yeah. You know, you look at... You look at most Wales fly-offs and very rarely, maybe Priestland being one of the, the few exceptions in, in recent years, has, have things come quickly to them? Dan Bigger made his debut in 
2008. Didn't make the jersey zone until 2013. No. Oh, he got you dropped know. in 2010, didn't he? Yeah, he, got, he was in and out with the team. You know, he had a few appearances, got dropped 2010. Um, and only really sort of 2013 when Priestland got injured did he make the jersey his own. Um, Anscombe took a very long time to to really sort yeah. of nail down the jersey. Made his debut, what, 2015? Hmm. Only really nailed it down in 2018. And that was after Patchell. Yeah, and that's another the one that's out to the equation yeah, as well. He's, with the he's, in, he's in New Zealand. Yeah. Um, or he will be by next year. Um, so it's never a smooth sailing thing, I don't think, the start of a, a Welsh fly-offs career. Um Arguably, Priestland sort of came in, yeah. and in a, in a weird way, he was almost an inverse. He came in quite quickly, and then mm. fell away as his career went yeah. on, and he he sort of struggled with the the burdens of the jersey. Mm. You know, Costello is going to be exposed to those burdens so much, and I think you do need someone with him. Maybe Owen Williams is that person yeah. who's he, oh, oh he's, he's not experienced in terms of caps, you know, because he's he's largely been unavailable for Wales at Test level for most of his career, but he is someone who's been around the block. He's had a lot of different experiences. I think he could be sort of a good senior head to lean on, but just that's the key thing is, is getting someone for for Costello to, to sort of share the load with, because there's going to be times when you probably need to take him out the firing line. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but I think Costello is quite, he comes across as quite being quite a, uh, a tough bloke because a yeah. bit of damn bigger about him in, yeah, in many yeah. ways like there was that the WIU put out that behind the scenes footage before the first England game and he was addressing the squad um, about you know certain tactics like whether they were going to go to the air they you know they weren't going to give Freddie Stewart any easy takes and, and what not um, and you know in press conferences for the Scarless he's quite spiky and he's quite in a good way yeah. you know oh, he's no. quite tough Um you know, defensively as well. You know, you look at the way he throw, puts his body on the line, probably too much, you could argue, and he's not scared to make decisions. And I remember talking to um former, um, oh, you won't mind me saying this, uh, Paul Turner, the former Wales 10, and, you know, he, he coached um, Costello at, um, at Amptill when he was on loan um, from Leicester, and he's Paul is one of the sharpest rugby minds going. And I remember asking him, just charting on the phone, you know, about the young 10s in Wales, and he said, one thing that Costello's got over other 10s is, when he makes mistakes, and every time, even Dan Bigger makes the odd mistake, Carter made yeah. mistakes, but they, they just forget about it. They put it behind them. And a lot of other 10s, there's a lot of talented 10s in Wales, but, you know, some of the other 10s, their games would go to bits, but Costello's problem solving is really good on the field. Yeah. And not just in terms of, like, making mistakes and putting it behind him, but, like, the tactics. He can, he's got the strength of character and, like, the the um, the intelligence to change the way the team are playing on the field. And that's a trait that Big has got, that Anscombe has got. Um, and I can see it in Costello as well. But I do agree, you know, obviously, you know, you, you can't play every game. He's going to get injured at certain points and we've got to look after him as well because um, I think, you know, you look at the what Priestland had to put up with, some of the abuse he got from a lot of uh, ill-informed people. He was a quality, quality player. And that'll probably come Costello's way at some stage. It's, it's going to be you know, big as hard if people say yeah. you can't attack, which is total rubbish, isn't it? As you've said, you've written loads of times. So there's going to be ups and downs, but I think he's got this sort of mental toughness um, and the sort of um, just that authority about him. So I I, I actually think he's, uh, you know, he, he is the, the long-term answer for it, to be honest. Absolutely. Um, going back to the news then, 
of Dan Bigger's retirement from from Test rugby after the World Cup. I mean, by by that point, he'll probably well, he'll have maybe 114, 115 caps under his belt. It, you know, <laughs> it's a remarkable achievement. I think, dependent on where Wales get to in the World Cup, he might be playing in the 10 jersey by the time he reaches 34. Mm. Um, my memory might be wrong on this, but I feel I've seen a stat that only one other player has worn the 10 jersey for Wales when he was 34, and I think that was Neil Jenkins. Um, Stephen Jones is just a bit younger. He was it? just a little bit younger. I'm not. Yeah. Sure. I don't know if Jiffy, when Jiffy came back to uni, and he, well, he played 15, didn't he? he played, yeah. So I don't know. I think I've seen that stat somewhere, but I can't find this. So apologies if I haven't credited anyone for that. But it, it's just a, it's testament to, to what he's achieved. That you know, here he is. He's he's on the brink of his 34th birthday. He's going to another World Cup. He's you know, bar George North, he's got the most caps of any yeah. Welsh back ever and so much is said about the Welsh fly half jersey I feel if anyone's thrived in the pressure of what it brings you know more than anyone I think it's it's Dan Bigger yeah you know Barry John walked away from the game at 27 Phil Bennett was obviously dropped back in 76 uh, Gareth Davis was was dropped he was, you know, A.N. Other was named instead of him. Amazing to think that Phil Bain has got dropped. I know, yeah. by the Big Five back in 76. Yeah. Um, obviously, Jiffy went north. Neil Jenkins and Stephen Jones were always derided. Yeah. You know, I think when Twitter was starting Priestland out, as well. Yeah, Priestland. I mean, he copped so much flack. All, all players, you know, and, and Biggers had his fair share of critics, but I think if anyone's almost thrived on that and and used it to make them better. It's, it's damn bigger. Yeah, I, I agree. I think as Welsh, Welsh rugby fans in general, and I am generalising, are sort of dictated a bit. Their opinion is dictated too much by the past, yeah. you know, by Barry John, uh, Phil Bennett, etc., who are some of the greatest players that ever played the game full stop, and they deserve all the accolades they, they get and all the praise, but that was a different time yeah. for professionalism. Game, and, like, obviously, growing up, so I, when I was growing up, so it was originally Neil Jenkins and then mostly Stephen Jones. Both of those players are absolutely, in my opinion, outstanding players, uh, top end internationals. But uh, and uh, obviously, criticism is part of the game. We criticise in the press as long as it's constructive. I don't really see a problem with it. But a lot of the criticism of those players were ill-informed. The Welsh public, in the main, didn't get Neil Jenkins. They didn't get Stephen Jones and Priestland to an extent. And no, I think, yeah, Stephen had to go to France, didn't he, to oh, effectively... Steve, Stephen <laughs> Jones effectively was get credible. among the best tens in the world. Yeah. Like, I, I'm going to... This is a big thing to say, but there's so much love for Ronan O'Gara and Ireland, but Jones, for me, was a comfortably better ten. I know I'm going to get a lot of Irish fans jumping on my back, but his yeah. all-round game, for me, was... Was significantly better, and yeah. people well, forget that started ahead of, ahead of him in Lions. Yeah, my point. Two thousand and five Lions tour, Woodward's coach. You know, no, yeah. no Welsh bias there. Oh nine McGeehan coach um, picked Stephen Jones ahead of Wilkinson and O'Gara. Yeah, his performance in the second test for the Lions in oh nine was one of the best ten performances I've seen. You know, Neil Jenkins. You know, I know he played he played full back in ninety seven. The one who won the test series without him kicking those goals. He's the best goal kicker including Carter and Wilkinson that's ever yeah. lived. They could control the game. Their passing was good. So much peripheral vision. Great players. Um, Priestland was a lovely player as well. Obviously, 
the criticism got to him and he did the right thing for him leaving Wales and, and Big has been in the same mould as Jones and Jenkins he's never really been fully appreciated he's not this running 10 like Jiffy no. or Bennett or Barry John or, or Cliff Morgan or Ty Watkins before them you know he's a guy who relishes the pressure one of the best goal kickers in the world his game management is second to none defensively brave best 10 I've ever seen in the air uh, and he, for me the the game I typifies bigger more than anything was that 2015 World Cup pool game against uh, against England. Um, Wales would not have won that game without him. He dragged Wales into that, back into that game through sheer bloody-mindedness, not just goal-kicking-wise. He was just phenomenal. And he's a sort of player we won't appreciate how good he is until he's not there anymore. Yeah. And that's yeah. how I'd probably sum up Dan Bigger's contribution to Wales. Absolutely. He's a sort of player who could... He often won or at least changed games just by sort of sheer personality, sheer force of personality. I think, was it 2022, France came to Cardiff on a Friday night. You know, they were hmm. on the way to a Grand Slam. They looked like the form team in the Six Nations. Yeah. And they only just got out of it with a win. I think it was 39 or something. Yeah. And it was just, it was Dan Bigot basically spoiling the party. Hmm. You know, there was one 50-22 and he was just giving it to the crowd basically to to cheer Wales on and that 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 summed him up. I think sometimes he's a bit misunderstood. Yeah. I think it, it, you know sort of some of his actions on the pitch, you know the body language, um I think particularly some opposition fans probably don't take too kindly to that, but you know we had the benefit of watching him play in covid when there was no fans and you could hear what he was yeah. saying. And he he's like having another coach on the pitch. And, and players feed off off that, didn't he? Yeah, massively. Um, I think there's been a lot of talk in the last few years. I think it started under Wayne Pivak and we're seeing it now with England to an extent about how you sort of uh, motivate yourself emotionally throughout the game. So at the minute we're seeing Ben Earl and Maratoje celebrating, you know, not straight line outs and that's getting a bit of ridicule. But yeah. I think certainly under Wayne Pivak, there was an acceptance that Wales weren't very good at getting themselves up in those moments and just celebrating mm-hmm. the little wins. And, and and that has a knock-on effect, I think. And I think it's just something that isn't typically Welsh to yeah. do that. But certainly I think, you know, some of the stuff, you know, Dan Bigger's body language, that, that has helped. Um, and yeah, I just go back to the fact that I think he is the the archetypal sort of it's it's a cliche, but he is he is a test match animal. Yeah, absolutely. And obviously, the main criticism has always been about Wales on attack well enough. But I think, as you said a few weeks back on this podcast, your attack's only as good as the speed of ball yeah. and winning the collisions um, and know, stuff. I, and and that's not he's playing to orders as well. Yeah, I, I was speaking to. Um, a former Wales international who went and played in England like Dan and believes that their game came on leaps and bounds when they went to England. And the same is is true for Dan. And the thing with Dan was when he went to Northampton, you you put him there with a with a 12 in Rory Hutchison, who was a ball player. And yeah. it just creates options outside them. And when you create options, Dan is a, he's actually a, he's a good running fly off that he doesn't get credit for. Hmm. Um, and I think he showed that, you know, Chris Boyd, thought the world of him as, an, as, a, as a fly-off and as an attacking fly-off. And, you know, I, I lost count of the amount of times, you know, we come into Six Nations or Autumn campaigns and there'd be clips of Dan Bigger 
for Northampton and someone would be on Twitter be saying, oh, you know, Dan Bigger is playing the rugby of his life and it, it got to the point, well, if he's playing the rugby of his life so often, the, the actual result is he's just a very good rugby player and yeah. that's, that's what we've seen. And um, yeah, uh, and more than anything, I think he's aware of his the perception. Yeah. You know. Um, and thrives off it. And he thrives off it. You know, I, yeah. I, I spoke to him, you know, these, these hundred cap pieces have become quite commonplace now you know we've had a lot of players Halfpenny Fowletow and um, Dan's always a good person to speak to because he's he's candid he's honest and he he doesn't you know he doesn't give you platitudes or cliches he gives you good answers which is again that's a that's a rarity sometimes in the game but um, we we got speaking about his own hundred cap piece, which I think had a few people you know Warren Gatland Sean Edwards Jamie Roberts all all sort of singing his praises and it was joking, but there was an element of truth to it. As <laughs> someone who's worn the 10 jersey for that long, he said it's the most compliments he's ever had. Mm. And I think, you know, he, he knows that he's not going to be everyone's cup of tea, mm. but, you know, he's he's done wonders, um, probably despite that. So, yeah, he, for me, he goes down as one of Wales's greatest fly-offs with, without a shadow of a doubt. Yeah, fully agree. I think you've. Uh, I can't really say much more than that. Really, he's just. We won't know. We won't appreciate how good he is until he's gone. And uh, I think I'd urge Welsh fans to make the most of him in in this World Cup because um, they're going to miss him when he's not there. Which is pretty soon. Absolutely. Um, let's move on then to the some of the last warm up games. I think quite a lot of teams finished up their warm up campaigns on the weekend. Um, some some interesting results, some interesting performances. Again, there's only one place to start, and that's that's Twickenham, uh, England, who, <clears throat> by by all accounts, are having a, a shocking warm up campaign. It just makes that that defeat of ours at Twickenham look all the more ri- well ridiculous in in many ways. You know, losing to a twelve man England, this England team just looks. Dreadful now in hindsight, doesn't it? They lost to Fiji yeah. the first time an England team in, I mean, a century and a half that they've lost to a current tier two nation. Mm-hmm. The first time they've lost to Fiji. I mean, we we can get onto Steve Borthwick's side in a bit and, and the fact that they're all at sea by all accounts. But I guess considering that they are our first game in Bordeaux on September 10th, yeah, we better start by looking at Fiji, which is never a nice thing in Welsh rugby, is it? No, no, it's not. Um, however, I, I've up until last weekend, I've been quietly confident the Wales are going to beat Fiji. Yeah, me too. Um, we know that Fiji, when the game opens up, could rip Wales to shreds, as they could any team in the world. But I thought that Warren Gatlin's tactics, you know, Wales tighten it up, um, kicking game, set piece, etc., would just be enough. But over the past two weekends. They obviously give a good account themselves before narrowly losing in Paris to France and beat England at Twickenham. And they have great individual players that can cut you to shreds. They showed that in small doses. But what impressed me is they've played a really structured game based on set piece. England tried really hard to put them under pressure in the scrum. There was always a secondary shove and Fiji was just rock solid. Same with the French. Um they haven't got a scrum that's going to absolutely tear in the opposition team, but they, they're gonna they're just solid and they had a solid attacking platform off their own ball. And Wales a scrum 
some of the officiating was questionable mind but up at Twickenham it had a hide in you know Um, it struggled Uh, so I think with with strong scrummaging props in Francis and Thomas um, historically anyway so that's a concern but there's a fact they were playing a really good structured game and there were some weaknesses obviously and the line out wasn't wasn't particularly reliable but they their moments of brilliance were few and far between but when when they when they did sort of break the line they they, they looked class and they made England pay but they were comfortable allowing England having the ball suck it soaking it all up defensively um and also their main weakness as I've said historically have been the scrum and half back and they got a young 10 the place for the Fijian Drua called Caleb Munts he kicked everything and they were hard kicks as well there was one from about 48 metres out he just nailed it he took in, taking the right options he can play the corners but he's also quite a potent attacking player so I watched those last two games and they're warm up games you take with a pinch of salt but I thought I'm not sure that Warren Ball I know he doesn't like that that term but yeah. historically Warren Ball I'm not sure if it's going to work I think Wales might need a little bit more because I don't think we've got the power that we used to have I don't know I think it's going to yeah. be really tight and that's where that's where the other warm up game comes into it which mm. was Australia France and Australia looked really good in the scrum mm. Angus Bell had a great time he's been outstanding for a long time <laughs> out in Paris and Taniela Tupu looked good um, that's going to be the key I think in this in this pool and maybe that's where I'm worried about Wales at the minute you know mm. I think you know before the sort of games we all knew what the game plan to beat Fiji was keep it tight uh, dictate the aerial game generate enough territory and field position and penalties to to get driving malls have, have Wales got a mauling game well that's the problem looking looking back over the sort of the, the autumn games I think there's a few issues Twickenham, we had a couple where the line-out was sacked. You can look at whether England have done that legally, but at the end of the day, a lot of it is is what Wales are doing with their lifters and, and how yeah. they're sort of... Are they, are they, they're not are they leaving gaps? A, a convincing yeah, picture are they, the are, they, are, they, are they leaving gaps? Um, so that's that's a worry in terms of the mall. So I think that, that could be an issue. We, we saw again, I think there was an early line-out against South Africa when the game was still very close. Same thing happened. The scrum, you know, the Six Nations, Wales' scrum was poor. I think they lost 20% of yeah. ball off their own feed. Um, they concede, I think, if you you know, if you know, go in the plus-minus columns of penalties won, penalties conceded sort of thing, I think they were minus three for penalties in the tournament. That's not improved during no. the warm-ups. I, I mean, I, I don't know how many penalties they conceded during the warm-ups, but it felt mm. like it was some sort of record at times. You know, it's probably averaging four mm. or five a game. Across those three games, it's maybe hard to see what they're trying to do with their scrum. Um, I think if you look at, say, Corey Domachowski when he scrummages for Cardiff, him, Maserati, they're very aggressive. Hmm. I feel like right now, Wales, Wales are more concerned about trying to paint a good picture for the referee than trying to go forward. And it's a lot easier to paint a picture when you're going forward in the scrum. Hmm. And I feel right now it's almost like Wales are too passive and I don't think the timing's quite there and there's there's all sorts, sorts of issues, I think. So does Jonathan Humphreys have a few questions he needs to answer? Well, possibly, yeah. And I think potentially, you know, if you look at the way Fiji are scrummaging and the way Australia are scrummaging, um, then yeah, it could get it could get nasty. I think <laughs> just, I've just been going over a couple of scrums now and... Um, 
you know, you look back at that game against Twickenham, just the, the shape of the Welsh scrum in terms of how you sort of even go to the back yeah. of the scrum, it was Tame Plumtree there, how your number eight is binding onto it. It just looks, it all looks very sort of upright yeah, and very sort of cautious. They're not, it's like they're not trying to go forward. They're just literally trying not to lose their footing and slip. Yeah. Whereas you go back two years ago, Falatau would, and a lot of teams would do this, they you know, you, you'd start off with your number eight would be on two knees, then he'd go on to one knee. Mm. And then he'd, he'd sort of push into the scrum and it's <clears throat> basically, it's, it keeps your locks tighter and it keeps your number eight binded and it just makes it a more solid thing. I don't think we've got that now and that's how you can sort of splinter it. I'll tell you who's scrummaging like that now and not many teams are, Fiji. The number eight starts with his... They're a well-coached team. Yeah, number eight starts with his one knee on the ground and that's why in the last two weeks they gave France hell of a hard time in the scrum and now they've given England a hard time in the scrum let me ask you a question as well right do you think that Gatland selected his best scrummages because you look at you look around Wales okay his formals have been great why the best scrummage in tight end in Wales this season has been Nicky Smith he's in the squad hasn't played enough rugby in my opinion but away from that the best scrummager we've had at a high level has been Wynne Jones not even in the training squad um yeah. You know, bit bit of a baffling one. Um, you know, it's just, you know, I, I also look at, I know you're saying about Aserati and Domachowski, they've been really good at regional level, but Test level is a big step up. Wouldn't the time to blood them have been after the World Cup, perhaps? You know, I would have liked to have seen a bit more of Henry Thomas. I thought the scrum was a bit better when he was on. Yeah. Um, against, against South Africa, it's not all about the front row. Look at the no, power and the weight yeah. and stuff. That was almost like a, a lost cause before they even packed down. But I, I don't know. I, I just, I know Warren Gatland wants, and he's quite right that props got to do more than scrummaging and win Jones and really carry whereas yeah, Domachowski but, does. But for me, if scrum comes first, I'm a bit confused why he wasn't at least in the training squad. And I, I just think, you know, the, be, the best scrummaging Lou said in Welsh rugby this year if not the URC top three, has been Nicky Smith. Look yeah. at some of the tight deads he's been up against. He's annihilated the Montpellier scrum. He anni- and I mean annihilated. Annihilated the um, uh, the the Leicester scrum. He, Osprey's lost, but they were up against Leinster. He was up against, uh, I think it was Michael Alala Toa, as Crusaders first choice tight dead, Samoan tight dead. Absolutely shoved him into next week. Yeah, yeah. He's good over the ball. Why, why isn't he having a, have more of an opportunity? I don't know. Maybe interesting. It's a baffling one. In my opinion, I would start the, the front row. I'd start against Fiji would be fitness permitting. Nicky Smith, yeah, Ryan Elias. Yeah, they say yeah. he's the best scrummage in in Wales, and um, uh, Henry Thomas because yeah, yeah. Hooker is important because Elliot Deason really well is thrown in as the best out of the three, but. I was on, I did a piece on the ref, Mike, for this last game and the Andrew Brace's biggest problem was the hooker, Elliot yeah, D, yeah. not the props. Um, and I just wonder whether, obviously, it's a difficult one because Wales have to compromise because you want, you need a really strong line out. We also want that physicality around the park and D, D offers it to an extent, but Elias and Lake offer it a lot more. And I I think the, the best balance is with, Elias at Hooker so I don't know if you agree I can see you yeah, thinking I, no, I, but I, I that's, think so. that's I, what I, I would go I, for I'm just fascinated there's so many things I think Henry Thomas will start I think he did enough um, when he came on against England I forget yeah. which game it was but he he caused Bevan Rod problems yeah. I think it was the game in Cardiff 
Um, you know, late late on in that game, I think they got a few scrum penalties out of England. Um, so I think I think he'll do enough. It's going to be interesting. You say obviously against South Africa, it's not just down to the to the front row. Well, yeah, the, the Wallabies have Will Skelton in in the second row. There's there's big yeah. there's big men there. Nicky Smith will be an interesting one against the Wallabies. What they do because. Um, I think the Wallabies are settled on their first choice props. Mm. It's where the is it um, Pone Famasili? He'd probably be the the second choice loose uh, tight head. I think against they go two poor tight head, will they? Yeah, I think he'll be he'll probably be your, your second. He'll probably be your reserve coming off the bench against the All Blacks at some point during the rugby championship. I forget the game. Tended to struggle against maybe the sort of the shorter props. Um, Smith some, is like, a, and and Smith's quite compact, and he can he can cause problems. He can get underneath you. Go back to the '97 Lions tour, and there's a big fuss before my time, was it? But there was a big fuss um, that Die Young wasn't selected because he, yeah. he was proper. McGeehan wanted um, Thomas Smith to get underneath. Yeah, um, I remember there's this world class French prop, Thomas Domingo, um, short and squat. Um, Smith reminds me a bit of him. Yeah, so the only thing with Smith is. He's won quite a lot of caps, 40-year caps, but he hasn't really had a standout game. Again, he hasn't had a run of games, but I, I feel he deserves that. I think he's the yeah. best scrummaging, Lou said. I think he's good at the breakdown. And then you have Domachowski or Gareth Thomas off the bench then. That's that's what I would do. I think he deserves a shot. Yeah, 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 yeah. But no, it's going to be fascinating because, I mean, the way these last few weeks have gone, Wales is scrum, just there's more questions than answers. Yeah. Australia, Fiji are looking good. But we haven't got the, the Wales haven't got the physicality in general in in the front five. No, um, people forget like how strong Wales were all round uh, in in the first Scotland. Indeed, everybody talks about Ali Wynne Jones at at lock, yeah. best in the world. But how good is Chartres? Outstanding player, Ian Evans, yeah. Goff, and Brody Davis, bit one dimensional. But the f- physicality, yeah, Brody could mix it. And we had some Wales had well, some yeah. real athletes, and, yeah. and you had you, just, you had world class props as well. Yeah, you had, yeah. Geth, you had Gethin, you had Adam, and in between, you, you, know, had you Paul had, James. Yeah, um, and your hookers were always of a good quality. Smiler, Ken yeah. Hibbard, Hibbard, Baldwin, Ken Owen. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And people was, were questioning Baldwin. Does he offer enough all round? But just the physicality brought yeah. and stuff. I don't think Wales have got that. They have one or two players like Lake, maybe Elias, Rowlands, but. By and large, that, that's my issue. Like, I, I just feel that Wales need to try and find a. It's too late now, but they need to try and find a different way of playing because they're not ain't going to bully teams. They're not the the in the first Gatland era. There were many times where Wales had the upper hand over South yeah. Africa physically. They didn't win the game because they 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 just fell short. But a lot of times they they knocked the Springbok pack from pillar to post. You know, they can't do that anymore. You know, they uh. need to find a different way of playing. Yeah, and I think it's that, probably that, too late. And I think that comes back to how they're probably going to play, which is going to be, it's going to be the kicking game, yeah. um, and it's going to be playing for territory, playing playing for the kicking game, varying the kicking game, which they didn't do enough, I think, during these warm up games. And, yeah. and Gatlin admitted that that they didn't kick enough off ten. They didn't challenge the defence enough. You know, if, if they were bringing a blitz, yeah. they didn't look for kicks behind. But they'll they'll have to do that in France. I think they'll have to. Yeah really do that um, but it's just going to be playing for territory off the kicking game and then hoping that yeah and, and this was sometimes the case I think during the last sort of World Cup cycle it's just getting parity at the scrum and it's yeah. getting parity at the morning it's just it's just getting enough and then it's the case of and the, we've seen them doing it 
as they did four years ago. It's, it's how you create sort of quick ball off, off little trick play. So you, you bring your winger into sort of pick and go off the first ruck off a mall. Uh, you know, four years ago, George North was doing that. Rio Dyer's done it on a couple of occasions this year. I just think there's going to be little things like that, little sort of subtleties. It's just whether that's enough. But um, Yeah, it's the back row an issue as well. There's some very good back rowers, but it's the balance there because I think Wales really miss Josh Navidi. Yeah. Where he clears out trucks, the way he's providing quick ball. Um, it could have maybe done with the option of Ross Moriarty's physicality. And it's just like, well, okay, Jack Morgan's nailed on. Farlet's how it fit is, but who plays six? Do they go for Lidget, who brings a, a physicality and defence? But, you know, do we need a bit more blindside than that? Do they put Morgan and Raffle in the same team? Does Wayne Wright go six when Farlet was eight? It's, it's very difficult. I don't, I'm not sure they nailed the balance, if I'm being honest. No, no. Which is I, a problem. And I think... Yeah, there's, there's, there's certainly with Wales, and you know what, with with a lot about the World Cup right now, because I think this last round of warm-up games have, have really sort of spiced things up, you know, with yeah. New Zealand being hammered by the box, England losing, Ireland looking a bit ropey against Samoa. Yeah. Across the board, there's there's more questions and answers, and I think that's certainly the case with Wales. Oh, yeah. Um, but just, just go back to Australia, right? That score, if you didn't watch the game... <clears throat> Or even just watch the highlights. You look at it and you think, oh, it's a high you doing? And obviously the only start that matters is the final score. And France are a better team. But for large periods of that game, Australia were on top. They created a lot. They didn't quite finish. You know, the last pass didn't go to hand and all that sort of thing. Although they did score some neat tries. And I think they have been getting better and better. Yeah. And I think it was the second played slow game. New Zealand made a lot of changes, wholesale changes, albeit still a really strong team. But Australia were absolutely outstanding in our first half. And there was a moment just before half time where Ardy Sevilla did a, a tackle. I was out of this world on Tate McDermott to stop him scoring. And if the Wallabies had scored then, they would have won that test. And I get the feeling that Australia just need one win to spark him into life. Yeah. And I think Australia's ceiling is higher than Wales's and Fiji's. And I just look at it. Look, Wales can beat Fiji. They can beat Australia. But I just feel if Australia bring their A game... They got better scrum than the Wales. They yeah. got Skelton there, as you've mentioned. Didn't have the best rugby championship, but he's starting to grow back in a test rugby. They got Michael Hooper being dropped was controversial, but with those those who watch rugby, he's not he's not in the top two open size in Australia. Fraser McWright is really good. Tom Hooper, and then ten is the biggest problem because Carter Gordon is a very talented footballer, but he hasn't got the sort of um, the uh, you know the that established presence that no, Cooper no. had and he missed a lot of kicks that's yeah. the wheels are better but my point is he looks good uh, if the game breaks up Australia create a lot they're a good set piece they're physical but they look devoid of a bit of confidence but once they get that win yeah, I think they're going to be hard to stop yeah. I, I think Australia makes semi-finals I think no I think so yeah and it's I mean you know we're only weeks away but it feels like this group now is this pool is Getting even harder to predict. No one's mentioned yeah. Georgia. <laughs> no, no I, th- I think. I, I think. I think. I don't want to sound cocky because this is probably the artist which led to them losing last year. I, I think Wales will see off Georgia. Yeah, but week. I think they could still have a say at yeah, some point. Yeah, in the group. They, they could. They could. You know, they could get a result against Fiji, or they could cause Australia problems. They I think could cause some problems. I just don't think they got the all-round game. But I think they, they they they've got enough to maybe have a say because I'm not Thoughts. sure. It's, it, it might not be the group where 
someone wins all their matches and goes through as group winner. It could be, a, you know, every, everyone sort of loses to everyone yeah. at some point. So it, it could get interesting. Um, it's going to be fascinating to see how it, it plays out. This is the final podcast then uh, before we jet out to uh, to France. And next time you'll be hearing from me and Steph, we'll, well, all things going well, you'll be hearing from us in Versailles. Uh building up to that first match against Fiji on September 10th. If you do enjoy the podcast, make sure you do leave it a review. Uh, And until next time, goodbye.